You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have a breakdown of the main event of UFC 249 for the lightweight championship of the world. You have the reigning, defending, undefeated lightweight champion at 28 wins and no losses, the Dagestani, the Russian, Habib, the Eagle, Nurmagomedov, going up against the boogeyman of 155, El Kukui, Tony Ferguson. So without any further ado, let's get this started and break down the fight. All right, guys. So before we get into it, let me just cover one thing. Yes, as of now, Habib and Tony is not going to take place because Habib is stranded in Russia, and it looks like he's probably not going to be able to make his way back to the United States. But if you go on to any type of social media... You can find an article that says that Russia now, and and before I say this, it is April Fools, but I don't believe this was posted um, as a joke. I think it was posted, you know, just to be serious and and really explain how this fight could possibly take place. And let me see, let me see if I can find the article. Here it is. Uh, it says Khabib could take a private jet from Russia to the United States, and that's from the Russian Air Transport Agency. So let's just look at this article really quick before we jump into this breakdown. So it says um, the Russian Federal Aid, and this article is coming from RT, what is it, RT.com? Yeah, RT.com, which is, I believe, a Russian sports website. It says Russian Federal Air, Federal Air Transport Agency has become the unlikely potential savior of MMA's biggest ever fight by off by confirming Habib Nurmagomedov could fly to the United States on a private jet for the UFC 249 title defense against Tony Ferguson. The agency has provided a slither of hope for MMA fans when they announced Khabib, currently in his native Dagestan, could get a permit to fly to the U.S. via a private jet despite all the international flights to and from the country having grounded having been grounded last week to combat the spread of the coronavirus. Um, this looks like it could happen. And the, and the quote from the Air Transport Agency is, for Khabib to be allowed to fly to the U.S. on a private jet, the flight company whose services have he intends to use should obtain a permit for flying out of Russia for the arrival in the U- and or for arrival in the U.S.A., and the companies which provide private air travel usually know which documents the passenger needs to have so that they can be granted entry upon arrival to the border. Now, they did say he would have trouble if he wanted to go from the U.S. back to Russia, considering that the flights would not. He would be able to get to the U.S. from Russia with this private jet, but being able to go from the U.S. back to Russia would be a problem. So he would most likely have to stay in the United States if he were to come and fight on 249. But we don't know anything else at this point, but it's looking like that's going to be the fight which takes place. And if not, they're probably going to give it to Justin Gaethje. But if you can't get Habib and Tony, just take Tony Ferguson off the card and uh, hold it off for International Fight Week and make it the main event of International Fight Week. I mean, it's already been postponed four times. This would be the fifth time. And you just don't know what's going to happen and you don't know when the next fight's going to be. But if they can make it happen, I guarantee you they will make find any possible way to uh, get this fight to go ahead. So like I said today on the breakdown, it's going to be a deep technical analysis of the Habib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson fight. And we're going to call it a boogeyman on the Eagles wings. Just figured that was a good name for it. And there's a lot to cover because... 
a, a lot of people think that Ferguson's going to be to, um, Habib's toughest matchup based on his pressure, based on his forward movement, and based on his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. Would he be able to stifle the ground control and the wrestling of Habib, outstrike him on the feet, get him tired, cut him up, and eventually work towards a submission or win a decision? Or would Habib's top game and pressure be too much for Tony Ferguson to handle, and would he be able to hold him down and uh, smash him, smash his face. Um, I don't know, but we're going to go into everything. We're going to break down the stand-up. We're going to break down the clinch. We're going to break down ground transitions. We're going to break down transitions into takedowns, um, how cert- how they both shoot their takedowns, why the other one could be a kryptonite to you know, each other and vice versa. So let's start it off with the stand-up, and it's kind of go back. It's going to go back and forth between stand-up and ground game and stand-up and ground game, but Man, I think I covered almost everything possible in this fight, and there's certain areas that people might be overlooking that I think would uh, give each opponent, Habib and Tony Ferguson alike, different problems. So we'll start it off on the feet. So Ferguson, when he when he fights on the feet, he's immediately trying to push you back. He wants the opponent to always be moving backwards and never wants you to take a deep breath. He He literally suffocates you with the pressure. He pushes you forward. Teep to the body, jab, cross, switch stance, left, right, right, left, left, right. Teep to the body, teep to the kick, inside low kick, outside low kick, in close in the clinch with elbows. I mean, he's just constantly trying to push you back and get you tired. Um, Habib does the same thing, honestly. Habib tries to push you back and uh, doesn't like moving back himself. He does not like to be pushed back. If you're able to push Habib back, he he gets a little bit uncomfortable. Now, it, it's not to say he loses fights or he looks weak in any of this because he is undefeated at 28-0. But it's just a different type of thing. Habib doesn't push forward with as much... Well, let me say this. He pushes you back and gets you on and uh, pressures you, but he doesn't get as close to you as Ferguson does in striking. When it comes to the grappling, obviously, he'll set you up fake shoot in and try to get a takedown. Now he does um, shoot takedowns from the middle of the cage. Every once in a while, he'll fake. He did it against Ally Quinta where he'll fake a shot and he'll shoot in to get the uh, ankle, lift up the ankle and uh, turn you and then get into a takedown and get in the top control and uh, control you on the ground. But nine out of 10 times, Habib's going to throw a combination, maybe a one, two, three, fake and then go in for a double leg position on the fence and then he's going to transition grab that lead leg put his head on the inside lift up that lead leg under the knee and then kick out the base leg and uh, try to take your back with the uh, backside uh, back control position with the body lock and then work from there to try to take your back or get into a mount position or have you turn into him and get into a half guard and uh, strike you from there um when it comes to the striking, though, uh, Habib is more rudimentary in his striking. He doesn't really throw, you know, a lot of high kicks. He doesn't throw spinning kicks. He doesn't really throw elbows or Superman punches. It's all it's all rudimentary striking. It's jabs. It's crosses. It's hooks. It's uppercuts. It's low kicks. Um, it's overhand rights. It's that's what Habib does. It's never anything too flashy. It's all business. Like he said, you know, like. Uh, like Connor said to Habib, it's only business, but with, with Habib, it is business. His striking is, is, uh, fundamentals. It's never anything too crazy. Obviously he will, you know, kind of jump forward to get you to like freeze up for a second and then eventually try to enter into a takedown. 
but he doesn't throw crazy spinning techniques. Um, he normally stays in the orthodox stance, doesn't switch to southpaw. Now, I heard an interview. I heard in an interview that Habib has been working southpaw for this camp with Javier Mendez. Obviously, they're not working it right now because the gym is closed. But I heard he has been working southpaw, as you've heard me explain multiple times on the podcast. Southpaw versus orthodox. Orthodox is left foot in front, right foot in back, power in the right hand. Southpaw is opposite, so right foot in front. Left foot in back, your power is going to come from that left side. Um, If Habib does try to work southpaw in this fight, I think it's honestly, it might stop Tony from switching stances mid-combination. But you look at the fight against Rafael Dos Anjos, and he was able to do... He was able to kind of pick apart RDA on the feet and switch stances, even though Rafael Dos Anjos was a southpaw. Now, Habib fought Rafael Dos Anjos as well and basically just dominated him with the wrestling. But Tony Ferguson kind of just picked him apart on the feet. So it was one guy beating RDA with the grappling and another guy beating RDA with the striking. So both guys have wins over similar opponents. Now, if you want to break down records and and who has the more impressive win streak, I mean, obviously they're both at 12-fight win streaks. Um, based on obviously Habib has never lost to anybody, but Habib did go to a decision with Edson Barbosa. Tony Ferguson finished Edson Barbosa with a Darce choke. Um, but then you look at the Michael Johnson fight and Habib dominated Michael Johnson. I mean, he got caught early in that first round at UFC 205 with a left hand, I believe. And, uh, he got rocked for a second, but then he was able to pressure, get the takedown and control Johnson on the ground. But then you look at uh, you look at Tony Ferguson, and Ferguson lost to Michael Johnson. Tony Ferguson got de- got defeated by Michael Johnson. This was obviously back in the day. I think it was in 2013. But he was just too fast for him. He had too much explosiveness, too much speed, and Ferguson just couldn't um, pick up the pace enough to win the fight. But let's get back to the breakdown. So he uses low kicks to switch stances from southpaw to orthodox and uh, vice versa. So he'll he'll stay in the orthodox stance. He'll throw a right low kick. He'll switch to southpaw, fire off that straight left hand, right hook, straight left, um, lead uppercuts. He has a very, very solid lead uppercut. It's more of a hooker cut, which is a hook, a variation of a hook and an uppercut where he, he'll throw that right hand, dip off to his left, come up with that uppercut up the middle and try to catch you. But it's more of coming up on an angle and coming up from the side than coming up straight at you like a normal uppercut. Um, when it comes to k- the kicking game, I mean, you look at Tony Ferguson, he loves to use the teep kicks from the lead leg and the rear leg. But there's a difference between a teep, which is a push kick, and a teep that is a stabbing front kick. Now, let me explain this. A push kick is where you're going to take your lead leg or your real rear leg, you're going to bring your knee up to your to your chest, and you're going to extend, and you're going to push the opponent back. You're usually going to take that rear hand and drive it down to uh, put a little bit more force and torque into your hips, and you're using that to c- control the distance and maintain the distance and stop the opponent from being able to close the distance on you. Tony Ferguson, however, his teep kicks, they are push kicks, but he does more of a stabbing front kick. He'll go front kick to the body, and he'll... Instead of hitting you with like the entire foot, which is what a teep kick would do, he uh, he hits you with the ball of the foot and just kind of puts it right in there. Just bop, 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 and tries to take your air away from you as you come forward. So every time he hits you with that teep, it's stabbing you right in the lower abdomen, stabbing you in the stomach, taking away your air every time he tries to close the distance on you or you try to close the distance on him. Um, it, it, Against a guy like Habib, um, I think that the front kicks could work, 
But you look at the fight with Dustin Poirier and Habib, and Dustin Poirier tried to throw a teep or a front push kick to the body of Habib, and Habib was able to deflect it with that lead hand, go palm down, grab underneath the uh, ankle and the heel, and, or yeah, grab under the ankle and the heel and deflect it away. You know, a traditional defense for a teep kick or a front kick, cover up with the right hand if you're in an orthodox stance, and then swipe away with the left to uh, deflect the kick. Um, I, do, I would not expect, I do expect Ferguson to throw these teep kicks to try to take the air out of Habib. They did work in the Conor McGregor fight. McGregor was able to land that stabbing front kick to the body multiple times. Now, even though you can't say Habib was getting extremely tired in that fight, I did give the third round of that contest to Conor McGregor. He was able to stop the takedowns and he was able to land some good strikes on the feet. And one of the best strikes he landed was that uh, right lead uppercut and then the teep, the front kick to the body. So I think that Tony Ferguson is going to look to land this teep kick and then most likely go into a sprawl type of position after the kick lands on the retraction. Um, the, this could definitely work for Habib or work for Ferguson against Habib, no doubt. Um, like I said, could they get caught and transferred into a takedown? Yes, but. You know, one thing you see from Tony Ferguson in a lot of his fights is if somebody is able to catch his leg, normally he will uh, roll into that forward roll somersault or, you know, just to throw the opponent off of him and get back to his feet. Um, Tony will walk into different stances. He doesn't use drastic angles like uh, like a lot of guys. So some guys you'll see, they'll switch a stance and they'll take a drastic angle cut to the side. It's But Tony Ferguson will walk into the stances. He'll basically, uh, I'm going to call it like a hopscotch. I, I called it stroll stances in the breakdown. He kind of just strolls from orthodox to southpaw. But against RDA, he was able to just move forward, and he would go right, left, right, left, right. And every time he threw the opposite hand, he was in a different stance. So right hand, he was in orthodox. Throw the left, he was in southpaw. Right, orthodox, left, southpaw. And he would walk forward and kind of, Square his stance up, but be switching stances as he moves forward. This could be a problem against a guy like Habib because he did seem to have a little bit of trouble with the stance switches of Dustin Poirier. Now, he didn't switch from southpaw to orthodox too much or vice versa, but he was able to catch Khabib or at least looked like he stunned Habib when he was in the southpaw stance. He, uh, he moved forward with that double jab. From the uh, from the left hand, stepped forward into orthodox and landed the overhand right. Uh, does this work against Habib? I thought it would work against Habib in my pre-fight breakdown of UFC 242. I said that would might have uh, given him a little bit of trouble, and I see Tony Ferguson trying to exploit this. Now, Habib does have a little bit of a weird defense, but just because he had that little bit of trouble against Poirier in the, in the early onset of that fight, I think Ferguson will look to exploit that and try to constantly be switching stances every single time he throws a punch or throws a combination so that Habib doesn't know which leg to set up the single leg entry or the double leg entry or the transition from the single to the body lock or the trip takedowns. By switching stances, it makes it harder for the opponent to uh, time a takedown and get you down. Um, it could definitely work if Habib was able to time the takedown mid-stance switch because um, Ferguson would be off of off balance a little bit, and it might be easier for him to drive forward and uh, take him down with either a single or a double or elevate the lead leg, kick out the rear leg, and get him down. 
Um, like I said, Habib rarely shoots from a long distance across the cage. He did against Ally Quinta and was able to get the takedown, but shooting from a long range against a guy like Tony Ferguson, that that's that's just a recipe for disaster, I think. I think you shoot from too far away of a distance, Tony's gonna get you in that uh sprawl position, try to get a hold of your neck and try to lock up that darsh choke. You kind of saw it against Edson Barbosa. He kind of just leaned in for a sloppy takedown. Tony got the underhooks. Um, stuffed the takedown and immediately got that front headlock with the head and arm control and locked up the darsh choke and got the submission. I mean, that that's really a problem. I don't think Habib's going to look to shoot like that. I think he might throw one or two, three, four punches, fake, and then try to shoot. But even that inside, the head on the inside single that he uses to lift up and trip out the, the um, post leg, that could be a setup for a darsh choke against a guy like Tony Ferguson. Tony can get darses from standing up. He can get darses from on the ground. He can get a darse from side control. Um, let me explain what a darsh choke and a anaconda choke, because there's a little bit of a difference. So when you, when breaking down what a darsh choke and an anaconda choke is, for any of you guys who want to know more about the grappling or you know more about anything like that, let, let me just break this down for you really quick. So let me see where I put it because I have it listed in this breakdown. Um, hold on a second because I know I wrote it down in here. I know I can explain it to you, but I just want to get every part of the um, explanation correct so that I can uh, really portray it to you guys. I know I've got it in here somewhere. Come on, you mother. Well, anyway, here, hold on. You know what? Here we go. Difference between a darse and a darse and anaconda. So a darse choke, every either one of these chokes, you have to get control of the head. You have to be on top of your opponent, and you have to either get him in a front headlock position, which is where you have your rear arm underneath the uh, controlling the head, and you either have the arm inside in the front headlock, or you just have the head, but you most likely want to have their arm as well. So you control the head and the arm. You snap them down. And you uh, you pull their arm to the one side, and then you can lock up your hand, which was under the chin, onto your bicep. You take the opposite hand, and you lock it around their back, and uh, usually put it on your shoulder. And you can roll in. Uh, you roll into a gator roll, so you roll onto the shoulder that you're grabbing, and then you walk towards the opponent with your feet, and it it strangles them like an anaconda. The closer you walk your feet. To the opponent, the tighter the choke becomes, the further away your feet are, which is what the opponent's going to want to do is going to try to push your feet away so that you can't get closer and uh, put more pressure and cut off the oxygen. As you walk forward, it just ends up cutting off more air. So a darsh choke starts with the rear hand going underneath the armpit. So you have the rear hand underneath the armpit, boom. You shoot that hand underneath from the and it's got control of the armpit underneath the armpit and the head so you have head and arm control with that rear hand then you feed that through and get neck control so now you have control of the head and the arm and with an anaconda choke you pull the head down and the arm and you lock around the head and arm first so darsh choke you go from the side underneath the armpit lock it up roll onto that shoulder, and then put pressure on with your chest and just lean into the choke. With an anaconda choke, you snap their head down, you put the arm underneath the neck and the and the arm, but you get the head and arm control first. You pull it to the one side, you lock it underneath, you, you bring your arm in underneath the head and the arm, you grab a hold of your bicep, and you put that hand that you're, um, the hand of the arm you're, 
the hand of the arm, which is being grabbed by the other hand with the bicep, you grab your shoulder and then you roll and walk forward. So that's the difference. Um, I think that the single leg entries that Habib Nurmagomedov uses could be an avenue for Tony Ferguson to set up a Darce choke because he's got the head on the inside, right? He's trying to shoot that single leg. He's trying to lift up the leg and uh, get in close or uh, sweep out the other leg. But with your head on the inside against a guy like Tony Ferguson, he could try to buck his hips out a little bit to get a bit more space, lock underneath the armpit and the head, the one that you're grabbing onto his leg with for the takedown, and then he ends up grabbing a control of your head, snaps you down, locks up the darts, and rolls into it. That could be a big problem for Habib. I think that that's one area a lot of people aren't you know, taking into consideration. Habib, like I said, he doesn't shoot traditional double legs or traditional um, single leg takedowns. Everything's usually set up off a of cage control and uh, trips. He likes to kick out the, the posting leg that you're used to balance on, and then he likes to get back control as he takes you down, get the body lock, and then lean over, lean his weight over the lead, your lead leg, which would be Tony's left leg, he would lean over towards that way to uh, break down your posture and then eventually try to get back control or get on the mount or just strike you and, and hit you from there. But I definitely think that that head on the inside single, if Tony's able to read the entry of Habib, he can time that entry and uh, buck his hips out and get the Darce choke from that head on the inside single position. Um. Now, we did see Habib have a little bit of trouble against Poirier at 242. We said this. We already explained how the stance switches and combos gave, you know, Habib a little bit of trouble. But you look at Habib's guillotine defense, just how close was the guillotine against Dustin Poirier? Poirier was able to lock in the guillotine, right? He got his knee on the inside, um, usually shin across the belly. Other leg, which would be his lead leg, goes over the... Uh, the back of the opponent, and then you squeeze towards the opposite side and you lock it up. So he tried to do that with the partial, with, with the uh, shin across the stomach, leg, other leg over the back. It didn't work. Habib rolled to the, the side where the knee was across the belly because if you roll towards that direction, you can uh, pass the guard and get into a side control position. But when he passed that side or tried to pass that side, he rolled onto his back almost. He tried to roll onto his back to alleviate the pressure. If Tony Ferguson locks up a position like that and, and uh, Habib rolls onto his side or his back, that's another avenue for Tony to either lock up an anaconda or a darse choke because you're exposing your neck and you're on a uh, you're in like a lateral position where you're on your side. So it, your neck and your arm are exposed. He has a better avenue to shoot that arm through, get the control of your head and arm, grab his own shoulder, and then lock up the choke. Um, but against Poirier, let's get back to this position. He, he showed good defense, but it was very close. No matter what anybody says, that choke against Khabib from Dustin Poirier was extremely close. So he rolled onto his side. As for um, Habib tried to turn back into Poirier to probably try to uh, get back into guard, he was able to readjust the grip and uh, lock up the guillotine again, but this time he went full guard with it. I, I think he went full guard. Let me let me just check this really quick because I want to make sure I get the uh, position 100% correct. Hold on. Um, Dustin Poirier versus Khabib uh, guillotine. Hold on a second, guys. 
you can hear this, you know, I'm sorry, but hold on a second. Uh, yeah, okay, so here it is. Let's go take this off. Let's take the volume off and give me like two seconds so I can get this, you know, exchange correctly. Uh, let's go, let's go. So, I don't know if it's going to be in this video. However, yes, it does not look like it is. Oh, wait. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, but it's not the full clip. Hold on. Reverse Dustin Fold fight. But yeah, guys, like I said, we got a lot to break down on this fight. I just want to uh, find this position so that I can explain it a little bit better for you. So he, is it right here? Yeah, here it is. Okay. So it was in the fourth round, which is when the fight ended. So Habib moving forward. He shoots the double leg, tries to get it against the fence. Poirier takes his right arm, puts it around the neck of Habib and uh, takes that left leg and throws it around the back of Habib Nurmagomedov. The other leg, which is his right leg is on the like left inside of the thigh of Habib. He could have put it against the belly and gone across and then taken that left leg and put it at a little bit more of a linear position to uh, really tor torque into that choke. So he gets that choke position right, and he's he almost has it. He almost has it. He's got the left leg across the back, but Habib's slowly starting to sneak his head out. He's trying to pull out. He's got control of the wrist. Uh, he's got control of Poirier's right wrist with his left hand. And he's grabbing it, he's pulling on it, he's torquing, he's torquing, he's trying to get it. Habib rolls to his um, left side, which this is where I'm talking about in the position. If you have not seen the fight, go back and look at Poirier versus Habib. So Habib quickly rolls to his left side. And uh, Poirier's got Habib's right arm in between. Uh, he's got the overhook on Habib's right arm with his left arm. And uh, this could be a position to set up the Darce choke. Or an anaconda choke, but it would more likely um, be a Darce. And then Tony Ferguson would have to roll to his left shoulder and pull Habib that direction and then walk towards him and put pressure on his chest. But from this position, Habib then tries to like get to his knees and throw Poirier down to try to land in a side control position. He throws Poirier down, but this gives Poirier less. He's cutting off the space that Habib had between his neck and Poirier's arm. Before he had a little bit of space, he could breathe. Poirier readjusted and got in a lot deeper on the choke, but this time he did not have the uh, leg, or he did have the leg across the back, and Habib is trying to push Poirier's right knee down and then pass over into a side control position. He rolls down to his left side again to try to alleviate some of the pressure and eventually gets out from that position and, uh, you know, get out of that position. But this is a position where Habib against Tony Ferguson could easily get locked up in a choke and get transitioned from a guillotine to a Darce or a guillotine to an anaconda choke. Let's see. I just want to get this one position when Habib rolls to his side. So Habib rolls over to his left side to uh, alleviate the pressure. If Ferguson is able to get his hips back, he can shoot that uh, right arm underneath the neck and eventually lock up a position for the Darce choke like I just explained the difference between the Darce and the Anaconda. That is a big, big factor in this fight, and that's a little glimmer of hope for uh, Tony Ferguson without a doubt.
But he did have good defense, and he did get out, and then that would lead to Habib taking the back, controlling the wrist with the one arm. I believe he controlled the wrist. So he took his back um, with the left hook in, and uh, uh, Poirier is trying to control Habib's left wrist, and he's punching. He's uh, trying to punch into the choke. So he punches him with the right arm to get him to lift the head, and... Uh, he kind of he doesn't get the choke all the way, punches with it again. Habib or uh, Poirier lifts up his head, and as he lifts up his head and turns, Poirier gets or uh, Habib gets the choke in without any space in between them, and then gets the submission. So, you know, Poirier uh, Ferguson does not want Habib on his back. If Habib takes your back, I don't care who you are, he could submit you. I don't care if you're a black belt. Poirier is a black belt, and he got submitted. But here's the thing. When let's say Habib does take Tony Ferguson down, which he's most likely going to do, um, you know what? Let's actually stop it here and we'll break that down on the second part of this little breakdown. Okay, guys, I'll catch you on the second part.